Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore. Hey, Kishore, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. And how are you doing, Mohal? I'm also fine. Happy Independence so, Day. Yeah, uh, I want to wish Happy Independence Day to all our uh, listeners around the world. Today's like India's world. Yeah, 71st uh, Independence Day. Yeah. So, so the question begs, why did we call this show India Rising? India has been on the rise to become an influential player on the world stage for the past 25 years. Among the larger nations in the world, India is the fastest growing economy. And by most estimates, it will be the third largest by 2030, which is hardly 12 years uh, into the future. Uh, its political clout among the global elite has also been on the rise. There have been several highs and a few lows in between during, this, uh, during the past uh, 25 years, uh, despite which it has continued its journey upwards. Now, we want to take a look at all the strategic affairs, including both foreign policy and defense, which are shaping up India's present and also, most importantly, its future. Now, how India deals with the world will determine as to how fast uh, India will uh, rise, either fast or slow. So today, yeah, so today we will be talking of uh, uh, the Iran uh, nuclear deal and the ramifications of uh, Trump walking out of the deal and also the, the hot potato topic uh, in the past uh, few weeks, the Rafael deal controversy. So Kishore, uh, I know you have been following the Iran issue quite closely and you've also written an op-ed column on it. So why don't you uh, go ahead and uh, give us some details about it. So I noticed that uh, some time ago, the Iran's official currency, the real, touched a new low in unofficial markets. So what do you think will be the geostrategic impact in the region and especially for India? Thank you for asking that question. It's a, it's a very uh, important question to begin with. Uh, US last week stopped Iran from buying uh, the dollar notes, the hard currency. Now, while Iran has actually pegged its currency real at about uh, 43000 44000 to a dollar, there is a fear uh, that uh, the real will slip further as the U.S. sanctions will uh, continue to get tougher and tougher. So in anticipation of a weakening currency, uh, people in uh, Tehran and elsewhere have been lining up in front of uh, the currency exchange uh, stores to purchase dollars at uh, unofficial rates. And by latest count, the unofficial rates have now crossed uh, 100,000 riyals to a dollar. So uh, have there been any export controls on how much money can be uh, taken out of the country or has a such, such a step not been taken yet? Uh, we have not heard anything from the Iran uh, government to that regard, but one, uh, one can safely assume that uh, such measures will be announced uh, quite quickly. 
So a few months ago, Trump walked out of the JCPOA. So can you enlighten us what does JCPO mean and uh, what are the implications of walking away from this deal by the Trump administration? Right. So uh, Trump actually walked out of the deal on uh, 8th of May. And uh, JCPOA is an acronym for Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. It is the name of the legislation brought in in the US uh, for a nuclear deal that it, uh, the United States and five other countries uh, entered into a deal with Iran. So the five countries, uh, uh, five other countries and the US actually combinedly were called P5 plus one, who are actually the five permanent members of the Security Council and uh, Germany included. Uh, so all these five plus one countries uh, made a deal with Iran and uh, uh, Trump just walked out of it, announcing that he would be reimposing sanctions on the Iranian regime. Now, uh, what uh, what's happening in Tehran is that the average uh, uh, citizen, the common man, feels that Iran is not well equipped to handle uh, the impending economic crisis. Yeah, so just to delve it more deeper for our listeners, like who are not aware, like so the JCPOA was signed between the the P5 plus one countries and Iran to freeze its nuclear program because there was a fear in the West that Iran is working and also Israel, I might add, towards building of a nuclear bomb which would threaten the stability in the Middle East. So. Uh, so once the deal was signed, the economic sanctions which were imposed uh, prior to the deal were lifted. So shouldn't this have uh, led to economic benefits for the common Iranian citizen? That is the common perception. And in a way, it is true also. Uh, so what happened was that Iran got a very, very favorable deal in 2015 when it entered into this uh, uh, deal with P5 plus 1. Now, courtesy of this deal, uh, the oil exports of Iran uh, rose to record levels, and it also helped in increasing its uh, foreign exchange uh, reserves. However, the, uh, the enthusiasm was limited only to the exports. Now, what happened was that job creation languished, and in a country which has 60% uh, uh, of its population under the age of 30, uh, job creation became a, ma became a major issue. So uh, what's next? Can we expand a further round of sanctions uh, to be put on Iran by the Trump administration? Uh, indeed, uh, US has already mentioned that uh, as the very first step, it would tighten the flow of dollar notes uh, to be purchased by the Iranian establishment. And it has also set up a second deadline of November 4th, by when it claims that all oil transactions would uh, attract uh, economic sanctions. So uh, the US has reached out to countries like China, India, uh, asking them to end their oil imports from Iran by that date. So coming to the India question, now how this affects India is going to be interesting. So if I am not mistaken, I think India uh, imports oil from a whole host of countries, but the number two nation uh, from which India imports is Iran. So how is going to India get affected with these sanctions? Uh, the, the official stand of India has uh, continued uh, uh, unchanged. It claims that it acknowledges only those sanctions that have been imposed by the United Nations 
and not by any individual country. However, in reality, with the US and India inching closer and closer, in reality, you might see India cutting down its imports from Iran, uh, probably to an absolute minimum, uh, something which, are, uh, which it has already done earlier also prior to the, prior to the deal uh, when Obama was the president in the US. So uh, something to this regard has already been uh, suggested in Indian media outlets. Now, apparently, uh, our petroleum minister Dharmendra Pradhan has already asked the oil public sector undertakings uh, to be ready for a shortfall in the Iranian supplies, which kind of clearly indicate that uh, India might cut down on oil imports from Iran. Now, having said that, uh, India might actually uh, uh, have a bargaining chip and it might uh, want to indicate to OPEC and uh, other countries, the oil major oil producing countries, asking them to provide oil at the same cost and ensure that uh, there would be no uh, uh, price uh, spike or a price uh, hike in the in the foreseeable future. So that might be one uh, sticking point uh, that uh, India might actually want uh, US and the other OPEC countries to agree to. Yeah, you bring up a good point because uh, as I was aware that uh, Iran used to give some sweeteners on shipping and insurance to Indian companies. So the price of crude was slightly cheaper than the other uh, nations from which India imports. So do you think this is going to hurt the people at the pump like with increased prices uh, because we'll have to now cut back on one of our cheapest sources of oil? And Again. one more thing to add, uh, just a uh, extra point like I we have been reading that uh, US India has been increasing its imports from US so that adds a new dimension to this whole thing that there could be an added benefit by imposing this these sanctions because US wants uh, as you know Trump has been pretty uh, demanding of cutting down the trade deficit so if India increases its imports from the US and declines it from the Iran it will help uh, reduce the trade deficit with India something which Trump has been advocating all along right right you're right so uh, probably what would happen is uh, india would want all the kind of uh, sweeteners that we had uh, from iran for example we were getting uh, 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 cheap freight and uh, even insurance on the oil that yeah. we were purchasing yeah. yes. so uh, so india would want india would probably want the same kind of benefit from uh, us or any other opec country from from which uh, it would go ahead and buy now, having said that, uh, India had increased its import from Iran in the past uh, uh, five years steadily. Even mm -hmm. in the past uh, six to eight months, there has been a 20% to 30% increase in the uh, actual oil import from Iran. Mm -hmm. Now, earlier during the Obama regime, uh, India had actually cut down on uh, oil import from Iran 20% at a time. And uh, clearly yeah, indicating that percent. I think what we pledged to the Obama administration back then was we'll cut down 20% every six months uh, to some uh, really low levels. So I think this right. would be a, really a good strategic move on the part of India that if you increase it by in anticipation of the sanctions being put back in, if you increase your baseline by 20%, then when you cut 20% from it, you are not hurt as much as if you were importing the same level as last year. So it's kind of a good strategic thinking, I would say, on part of India that you increase your baseline so that you can show that, hey, I cut 20%, but I'm cutting 20% from a higher number versus a lower number. 
Correct. Now, uh, uh, the Trump regime has uh, kind of indicated very clearly that uh, we need a complete stop by the 4th of November. Now, uh, India will have to kind of uh, uh, convince the Trump uh, administration that, uh, hey, for now, we can only cut down on 20% and uh, we will have a gradual uh, climb down all the way mm -hmm. to uh, zero. So probably mm -hmm. India will have to do a bit of uh, tightrope walking there. Yeah, interesting times ahead. So another yeah. part of the India-Iran uh, angle in the relations is the Chahabar port. So for listeners, I'll just uh, briefly touch upon what the Chahabar port is. So it's a port on the southeast uh, coast of Iran. Now, as you know, we don't have good relations with Pakistan. So any overland transport of goods to Afghanistan is not possible. So what India did is they, they promised to develop the Chahabar port from which uh, once uh, goods can be shipped by land to the Afghanistan border and into Afghanistan. So this circumvents Pakistan and taking them out of the picture, which I'm sure that the Pakistanis wouldn't be any much too happy about. So coming to the Chabar is a strategic investment because it helps uh, India to connect to the Afghanistan uh, through a circular route. So how do you think this will affect India's investment in Chabar? Yeah. Uh Chabahar is actually an interesting dimension to the whole uh, uh, game that's being played out right now. Uh, U.S. has clearly indicated that uh, uh, right now, the first uh, as a first step uh, of imposing sanctions, there would be a cut down on the supply of dollar notes, and as a second step, they would cut down on uh, the oil imports, and as a third step, at a future date they would cut down on the usage of the Iranian ports and also all the shipping routes. So uh, that would also come under the purview of uh, sanctions. Now, uh, which implies that India can then have no dealings with uh, Iran in terms of the Chabahar uh, port investment or uh, the regular administration and upkeep of the port uh, and also uh, having any trade uh, passing through that port. Now, India is trying very hard to prevail on the U.S. to uh, to uh, to make it understand that it is a strategic investment uh, and a multilateral project and not just a uh, bilateral project between India and Iran. Multilateral project aimed at helping uh, landlocked Afghanistan uh, in addition to Iran also benefiting uh, um, in, a, in a small way. So it, it really still needs to be seen how the U.S. would respond to India's claims. And uh, let's see how it goes ahead. Uh, we'll have to wait until yeah. uh, the U.S. responds back. And like one of the interesting things is that uh, the banks are caught in the middle because uh, we have been trying to pay the Iranians, I believe, in euros. So now uh, transacting would be the biggest problem that we don't have enough trade. Like we, we could barter goods like oil for certain so our trade if it increase it would help us to just simply barter goods versus trying to exchange the uh, the oil for euros because i'm i'm sure that uh, iran would be very uh, happy to uh, i think in the past they have refused to get paid in rupees indian rupees i mean indeed indeed so yeah uh, that's a pertinent point so india india if it decides to continue uh, importing oil from Iran will have to find out a way to circumvent the problem of uh, dealing with 
dealing in yeah. uh, dollars or euro. because uh, indian banks certainly don't want to come into the global sanctions or us sanctions because all the trade is done in uh, is done in dollars and one last thing on the chabar i believe like when nikki heli the ambassador to the un was in india uh, i believe like uh, last month or just a few weeks ago she mentioned that chabar wouldn't be was it her or was it uh, some someone else who mentioned that chabar wouldn't be uh, sanctions under the sanctions of the trump administration yeah we have kind of heard uh, conflicting reports nikki heli you are right actually mentioned that uh, they would try to keep uh, chabahar out of it but at the same time they also mentioned that uh, port and uh, shipping routes will be impacted so we have heard the conflicting uh, reports to that regard so uh, it's kind of confusing as of today yeah interesting times ahead i would say yeah so yeah uh, that would conclude our discussion on iran uh, switching over to the the never ending uh, controversy <laughs> on the rafael deal uh, yeah. mohit you have you have kind of uh, vociferously written and uh, tweeted on this deal you have also written a uh, you have also written a fascinating piece on the mind makers website uh, so uh, can you give us a brief history of what this whole issue is all about and how did it even begin yeah so in the early 2000s like due to the impending retirement of several older aircraft in the if arsenal like the mig 21 the 23 the 27 they saw a huge reduction in uh, fighter aircraft so if the indian air force wanted to procure new uh, aircraft like they wanted to procure 126 aircraft under like a multi role combat fighter tender so in 2007 the request for proposal was sent to six vendors like saab which makes the gripen uh, eurofighter which makes the typhoon dasa which makes the rafal uh, the mikoyan which makes the mig 35 lockheed martin which makes the f16 and boeing which makes the f18 so there were after some rigorous testing uh, in 2011 only two of them passed the technical evaluation which were the the eurofighter typhoon and the dasa rafal uh so next what was going to be decided was how to select the best of them was going to be on be on the base of prices now it wasn't just the price of purchasing the aircraft but also the cost of service maintenance and upgrade over the lifespan of the aircraft in january 2012 it was announced that rafal was the had won the competition and was the lowest or what they call the l1 bidder the plan was that the first 18 aircraft would be manufactured in france after which under a transfer of technology uh, the remaining 108 would be manufactured in india and by hindustan aeronautics limited known as hal so but unfortunately what happened is that the final price negotiations got stuck due to some issues which i'll elaborate on later but the process dragged on for 3 years and after that uh, even after the modi government came to power the impasse continued for a couple of years which at which point like the then defense minister manohar parikar realized that there were going nowhere with dasa in the final negotiations so to break out of this logjam in 2015 uh, uh, narendra modi decided to buy 36 uh, fighter jets directly from france in a government to government deal so that's the the brief history of the rafal fighter interesting okay so then comes the question of the price now the congress party claims that the price of the aircraft has uh, increased the manifold uh, uh, to be precise by three times from 527 crore to 1570 crore uh, what's your take on that 
So I don't think that's an apt comparison because see, like in 2007, when the RFP was issued, the price was supposed to be like 10.6 billion. Now this contract was never finalized. So you can claim this was the price at which it was supposed to be purchased. But if the contract was never signed, it was, it would uh, not, it's unfair to compare it with that price. So what happened is like they saw claim that 31 million man hours would be sufficient to produce 108 aircraft in India, while HAL concluded that the man hours was 2.7 times higher. So that when they did the recalculations to their utter uh, horror and shock, they found out that the DASA was no longer the cheapest plane, but it was uh, Eurofighter would have been cheaper. But now since they had declared DASA as a winner, they had to negotiate with them. Uh, the other issue is the size of the order. See, like the order for 2016 was like 36, while in the around a decade ago was 126. So like there's yep. a th three and a half times bigger order. Now everybody knows that if you order something as small as a paper clip or something as big as an aircraft, you get a lesser price when you buy in bulk, right? Due to the large volume of the order. Exactly. Another thing to add is that the nine years between the two deals means it would be impractical to expect the same price because of inflation, which would have increased in them. Now, let's say we take the Congress claims and say that there is a massive price markup and we are getting fleeced uh, massively. So let's see like who, which other nations bought it recently. So they were Egypt and Qatar. Now, since the weapons package, the training maintenance for all nations is different, it won't be an apples to apples comparison. But Egypt paid 217 million euros per aircraft. Qatar paid 262 million euros per aircraft, while we paid 217. So if there was a massive scam ongoing, this price should have been manifold or like 2x or 3x larger than what the other people paid. This shows that we haven't massively overpaid, even if the uh, uh, configurations were slightly different. And interestingly, uh, our junior minister for defense, Shubhas Bamre, in a written reply to Lok Sabha in 2016, had stated that the cost of Rafale aircraft is 670 crore per aircraft. But that is just the bare bones price. Now, the overall price, it's never been officially disclosed, but it's supposed to be 7.85 billion euros. Now, some defense reporters, they in an off the record conversation, were given a breakdown for the cost, like what's the aircraft, the weapons, the India specific enhancement. There are like 13 India specific enhancements, spare parts, uh, and performance based logistics. Now, since these unofficial figures are in the public domain, uh, like I'm not sure like what the opposition needs to go even a further breakdown because you have this breakdown of uh, these five uh, categories that I mentioned. Now breaking it down any further is going to be counterproductive because the our adversaries will know our weapons, our capabilities and the quantity of the weapons so they can uh, game the system to like how to evade or how to defeat us in times of conflict. So it would be counterproductive to go any further in detail. Right, right. So uh, one thing, one thing is quite clear at the stage that uh, the Congress claim of uh, the price of the aircraft being one five seven zero crore, that is actually a hogwash, right? Yeah, I mean, the you cannot compare the older and the newer price. The older price was never finalized. So there is no way you can compare to that price. 
Agree, agree. Okay, so uh, is there any way that we can compare the MMRCA deal with the 2016 government-to-government deal uh, as the opposition has been doing? And so, uh, if not, then what are the differences? So it's hard to compare because uh, one has to exactly know what were the weapons, the training, the sensor, and like, you know, I, all the packages which were included in the previous versus the current deal. Now, you, it's hard kind of because you don't want to do an apples versus oranges comparison. But what we know for sure is that some of the details like that the current order of the Rafals comes with a lot of the enhancement which were not present in the order from a, uh, around a decade ago. So for example, we are going to get the Meteor, which is one of uh, the best beyond visual range air-to-air -air missile which can hit targets 150 kilometer away. We're going to get the Scalp cruise missile, which is a surface air-to-ground missile which can hit 500 kilometers away. So imagine if you are like a loitering in Indian airspace and you could hit targets in China or uh, Pakistan without entering their airspace. Yep, yep. Additionally, Rafale will have uh, electronic warfare, spectra electronic warfare system, will have active electronic scanned array radar, which is a first for IAF, a helmet mounted display where a target looks locked by just the pilot watching the target. And also importantly, uh, ability to take off from high altitude airfields, which will be useful when uh, you are taking off from, a, uh, let's say, somewhere in the Himalayas. Now, on a, now, there are certain smaller things which also get overlooked in this. See, the previous agreement had a, something called a 3.9% escalation inflation index, which means from day one of the deal, the price went up by 3.9%, no matter whether the inflation, actual inflation had gone up or down. In the 2016 contract, they had negotiated a 3.5 max amount, but only when inflation was present. So if inflation indices go down, India could end up paying a lesser amount. So government sources claim that if inflation goes down, we could end up saving anywhere between 200 million to 1 billion euros. I mean, we'll have to see like whether some of this, but it's still uh, a significant change. Also, as part of the performance based logistics, uh, France has given a guarantee to India that 75% of the Rafale aircraft will be operational during the first five years, which is important because the previous deal only had guarantee for a squadron, which is 18 aircraft. And now we're going to get that guarantee for 36 aircraft. So there are like uh, these subtle differences, which I'm not sure if the opposition is uh, studying all the details to see how the, the current deal has a superior weaponry, superior logistics agreement and etc. Or they may be conveniently hiding the facts. Pro, I, I would say probably ignoring it, <laughs> hiding ignoring. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, Rahul Gandhi, the head of the Congress party, uh, he claims that he had personally met uh, French president and asked him if there was any secrecy pact between India and France. And uh, apparently uh, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, uh, claimed that there was no secrecy pact. Uh, what's your take on that? So uh, during the no confidence motion, like Nirmala Sitaraman uh, in a rebuttal said that there was a uh, secrecy clause, which was in the government to go IGA, the deal, which was signed by the previous government in 2008. So according to like, I'm just going to details, like according to article 11.3 of the agreement, it said that for any contract or subcontracting contract that includes classified information and material. Now, 
basically secrecy has to be maintained now many people argue that price should not come into information but i would beg to differ as many people that uh, why would daso want all its pricing information splashed, splashed across print and electronic media for all to see so that future buyers of the rafal can now drive a hard hard bargain with daso like hey you give india that price why didn't you give me so it's kind of uh, disingenuous for them to say so what bakro actually said was that if modi government wanted to share some details the french government would have no objections to it but it's not that clean and cut that yeah, the modi government would just bring all the information in the public domain i think the abhijit ayar mitra a senior fellow uh, at the institute of peace and conflict studies uh, who has written extensively on the rafal Uh, has said that the issue could easily be settled without violating the secrecy clause he suggested that let's say rahul gandhi and a few opposition figures could apply and get appropriate security clearances after which the government could share the details in a private setting uh, where they would be bound by the secrecy clause so they couldn't disclose it but now we are practically like 9 months away from an election i am not sure whether the government would be willing to go that extra step it would be ideal if they do that and also if the opposition is really wants to resolve the issue or keep the fires burning for political gains <laughs> indeed fascinating okay so uh, the congress party has claimed that uh, uh, the whole deal uh, uh, went ahead and uh, influenced and uh, helped one particular uh, businessman uh, with a deal of 35000 crore and uh, he had never built a single plane in his life and yet he was given the rafael deal uh, we all know who that person is and uh, <laughs> uh, congress wants to uh, congress wants to uh, beat a dead horse so uh, what's what's the take on that uh, where does where does reliance defense come in and why why is there so much of uh, negativity around it yeah i would say like it's not not only congress now it's like Prashant Bhushan, Yashwan Sinha, and Arun Shaw also trying to beg, beat a dead horse. So, right. so the offset contract is uh, like uh, amount of money which the vendor, which in this case the saw, has to reinvest in India to encourage uh, local defense production. So, first of all, the offset contract is negotiated between France and the vendor directly. So, in this case, it's the Anil Ambani-led Reliance Defense. so there is no involvement from the government in the negotiation process which would allow the government to say like hey give the contract to xyz now one of the things which is lost in like just putting the finger on reliance is reliance is one of just 72 offset partners in the deal but is just been singled out by the opposition because probably it's one of the biggest partners now many of these offset contracts run into the thousands of crores so it's not like you could give it to any mom and pop industrialist to do it it has to be done by the big companies uh to execute the contract because a failure to execute the contract invites a fine on dasa now coming to the why hal wasn't allowed to manufacture planes but see in the earlier contract the 108 were going to be manufactured in india under hal but now the plane is going to be manufactured entirely in uh, france so there is no question of involving hal whose uh, strength is building airplanes so uh, and one more thing to important is like it's not that the 
public sector has been completely uh, removed from the deal like people easily forget that 9000 crore of offsets are going to go to drdo which is a public sector enterprise for uh, i mean all talks so it's not like the entire offset is going to uh, private companies some of it is also going to public companies and like lastly i would say like okay you can say that okay uh, the ambani group or like um, got let's say because of favoritism but then one like the congress party conveniently forgets that if you go look and do some study on the older mmrca deal do you know who the offset partner in that deal was that it was, was mukesh ambani yeah. yeah it was mukesh ambani's elder brother so how is it that 10 years ago the elder brother is everything is all perfectly and fine as an offset partner but 10 years down the road when his younger brother is an offset partner it's like chronic capitalism it's just like crazy to think mm-hmm. yeah classic indian politics yeah yeah okay so uh, another another point that the critics of the deal point out is that the deal did not have the approval of the uh, cabinet committee on security at the time when the prime minister announced it in april 2015 Uh, and included it in the india france uh, joint uh, statement is there any merit to this uh, uh, argument no there is completely no merit another of those bogus claims uh, so see when the deal was announced in april 2015 between uh, prime minister modi and then french president hollande that it was just an intention to buy the aircraft now intentions do not require a formal clearance from the cabinet on committee uh, cabinet committee on security agree, it's agree. only when the intergovernment agreement which was signed much later because the negotiations dragged on till september 2016 so the the ccs approval was taken a month before the final deal was signed in 2016 so i am afraid this is one of those uh, bogus accusations and and it is true in real life also i mean uh, you you can't you can't approve or clear something unless and until you have completed the negotiation yeah that's correct yeah okay so uh, again to our viewers uh, uh, one critical uh, uh, differentiating factor is that uh, the, uh, the plane purchase is now a government to government deal uh, whereas the uh, implementation or the uh, Uh, development of the accessories yes, between Dassault and uh, the the group of companies here in India. So that's mm-hmm. a uh, that's a small uh, uh, tidbit to keep uh, keep yourselves uh, abreast yeah. of. So, okay. Uh, one of the differences yeah. was see, like in the earlier deal, the thirty percent of the money was supposed to be reinvested in India as offsets. Now it has increased to fifty percent, so it will. Uh, on a percentage wise it will involve more uh, uh, investment into indian defense correct yeah okay so another question that i would want to ask you is why were fresh and fresh tenders not invited when everybody knew that eurofighter was actually uh, offering to reduce the cost of the uh, of the eurofighter typhoon by almost up to uh, 20% so the the eurofighter uh, reducing the cost by 20% is an interesting angle but like what people don't realize is that once the l1 bidder has been announced the defense procurement policy which the previous government decided said that there is no way even if the l2 
was giving a cheaper uh, airplane or even it was free they would never be able to go back and renegotiate so before the mmrca process yeah there is no way they could have gone back so that was one of the things that manor parikar found that once daso uh, they were stuck in negotiations there was no way they could uh, go and negotiate with other other folks otherwise you just or without cancelling the whole uh, tender now the question remains why was after now some critics have said that okay after the mmrca deal was scrapped why didn't you go to eurofighter they would give you a 20% discount and you would have saved money now many um, the interesting angle is that there are two reasons i would say that it was rafal is supposed to be the nuclear delivery aircraft and the modifications required for nuclear delivery so uh, during the interestingly during the 1999 kargil war during the air campaign see like we have a bunch of defense equipment from all over the place so interestingly french provide us assistance to quickly adapt russian and israeli supplied laser guided bombs to the mirage 2000s which they were then successfully used to pound the pakistanis on the mountain tops in kargil so french france has always been uh, uh, very helpful in terms of doing modifications so and in, and a few days after the 36 aircraft purchase in 2015 manor parikar said that about this about the rafal it's a strategic purchase and should have never gone through the rfp pro, uh, or a competitive tender now what does a strategic purchase mean i mean if you read between the lines for most uh, aviation and nuclear strategies this have taken this comment to mean it's a nuclear delivery option basically it's one leg of your nuclear triad so right. currently this task is assigned to the older mirage 2000s and jaguars which will be retired probably around 2030 2035 but like let's say um, these aircraft are from the 1980s and they're getting long in the tooth so like you want to shift your nuclear delivery role from the older to the newer aircraft which have lot of these uh, let's say as i said like they have a better radar they have a better electronic war- warfare uh, suite so it will be a more prudent to move the nuclear delivery role to a modern fighter before the retirement now let's come back to the eurofighter typhoon now eurofighter typhoon is made by a consortium of multiple european nations uk germany italy and spain now let's say india wants it to use for nuclear delivery so now it would need some modifications because nobody is going to sell a plane which is going to be explicitly for nuclear delivery so this would mean india would have to get approval for a nuclear delivery modification from four different countries which have all sorts of policies about export of defense equipment and nuclear non proliferation so this would be very hard to get approval from four because one of them is bound to raise a red flag that hey we won't allow you to do that but in france would be probably comfortable as long as the details are not public so one more thing is like you don't want all the details of the deal to be made public as the opposition wants because then someone might point out that hey france you are in violation of the nuclear non proliferation treaty so that is also the nuclear aspect has been also vastly overlooked like uh, france has been one of our defense uh, great defense partners beat uh, they are helping us make uh, uh, those uh, the project 75 calavery submarines 
uh, we gotten the mirages from them. Uh, they were one of the uh, first nations for uh, when we got the NSG waiver. They were the first nations to sign the deal with us. So it's a strategic alliance. I'm not sure if the opposition is thinking out through that that we are hurting our uh, strategic relationship with France by uh, trying to get to the bottom of the deal, which could be done in a private setting. And also, interestingly, the CAG report will give us more details. So it could be handled in a much more better fashion than blasting the government day in and day out on supposed corruption on the Rafale deal. So I think in conclusion, I mean, the Vishnu Som of NDTV on Twitter, he said it the best that Rafale is not a scam because there is a scam per se or there's corruption involved because nobody has say like somebody has benefited uh, because of the scam but it's more a scam because the government has been unable to lucidly argue point by point while rafal is not a scam so is more than corruption is yeah. like uh, not being explained being able to explain it better to the wider audience fascinating and uh, your point that uh, the eurofighter typhoon being a, being a, a multilateral uh, exercise uh, where you have to go and uh, get an approval from uh, host uh, of countries uh, mm -hmm. would actually imply that you should have uh, rejected it uh, outright even when you were actually searching for it and uh, one only wonders why it actually came that close to even uh, winning the deal and uh, when it was supposed to be a strategic uh, purchase uh, again, uh, I agree that it should never have been uh, an RFP. It should never have been a competitive tender. Mm -hmm. It should have been a direct government-to-government -government, uh, agreement or a government-to-government -government deal. But see, the, the, the problem was that because of the rash of defense scandals, uh, the single vendor process has been abandoned um, for, for India because we had so many defense scandals over the years that we always go through the multi-vendor process. So interestingly, when uh, in the early 2000s, uh, France offered that they were shutting down production of Mirage 2000. So they said, we'll transfer the whole line to India, uh, like, you know, because we don't have any need for it. So at that time, IAF really wanted because they loved them. They, they were the, one of the best performing fighters in the Kargil war. Yep. Yep. But yep. Uh, what happened is because they ha we had just undergone like few scandals, uh, back then, the government uh, didn't want to do a single vendor purchase because it would then say that somebody would allege that this is uh, corruption on your part. So what ended up happening is they let the offer go. Now, coming to the Eurofighter part, see, I mean, from day one, there have always been whispers that the whole process was, I would say convoluted, but geared in a way that Rafal would end up as one of the uh, winners in the end. So probably they might have to, they would have to choose two of the most uh, uh, fighters which met the technical requirements and then made sure that somehow Rafal was, you know, because the IAF loves and swears by the Rafal, which is an excellent fighter. I mean, if you talk to any uh, Air Force personnel, it's a multi-role fighter. It's for air-to-air -air superiority. It's air-to-ground attack. Even like the, when they say like suppression of enemy, like seed operation, which is your suppression of enemy air defenses, like if you are to enter enemy airspace and if you are to take out all the uh, air to miss uh, surface to air missile and all your hard targets before other fighters can lead. So it's like a tip of the spear attack aircraft. So 
it's like everybody loves the rafal i mean in the if but like outside the if there are a lot of detractors of rafal unfortunately so it's sad that the process has been uh mirrored in so much uh, i would say non-troversy or non-controversy <laughs> yeah 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 okay so that concludes our discussion on the rafael deal uh, unfortunately i think we'll continue to hear on this uh, uh, deal for a little while longer probably even until the election in 2019 Uh, okay, so uh, we will be bringing out a segment uh, in our episodes where we'll be recommending something that we have found interesting and shareworthy. So, Mohal, uh, you can go ahead first. Uh, you want to recommend something to our listeners today? Yeah. So, I came across this great book some time ago. It's called From Chanakya to Modi. It's the uh, the evolution of India's foreign policy. So, it's been written by Aparna Pandey. who's a director at the initiative on future of india uh, and south asia at the hudson institute in washington dc so it's a, a great read of uh, uh, the foreign policy not only prior to independence but also from like jawaharlal nehru to narendra modi and what are the consistencies in foreign policy over that period and what are the differences and also all the way prior to independence how foreign policy how india has dealt in the foreign policy domain How about you, Kishor? Interesting, interesting. Okay, so my recommendation for the day is a book called "Our Time Has Come." Now, it's a book by uh, Dr. Alisha Ash, uh, who is a senior fellow for India-Pakistan and South Asia at the Council on Foreign Relations in Washington D.C. Uh, she served in the Obama administration uh, as a deputy assistant secretary of state for South Asia between 2010 and 2013. and she had more than 25 years experience in india and uh, south asia uh, crossing the government non profit and even the uh, private sector now uh, her book uh, kind of uh, uh, delves into the indian psyche and how uh, the past prime minister manmohan singh and the current prime minister narendra modi feel that uh, the time the the time for india on the global stage is right now and that actually uh, kind of reflects in the title of the book our time has come so and also, all, the, also the title of our podcast i might add <laughs> indeed, indeed yeah so uh, the subtitle of the book is how india is making its place in the world so yeah that's my recommendation for the day okay so uh, and that brings us to the end of our very first episode uh, we hope you have enjoyed our conversation uh we would like to hear from you and if you have any suggestions and commission uh, comments and suggestions do let us know and of course don't forget to subscribe to our channel and uh, also tap on the bell icon uh, to be notified whenever a new episode is available thank you for listening this will be a weekly occurrence and our next episode will be on the 27th of august monday morning india time until then it's a goodbye from mohal and kishore